Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by Smart Logic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore, Maryland. My name is Justice Epen, and welcome to part two of the Elixir Wizards Between Episode. This is a special episode that we produced in between seasons three and four of Elixir Wizards, and we've got a number of guests lined up for part two of this lovely show that we did. So please enjoy the Elixir Wizards Between Episode. Welcome, Outlaws, to Elixir Wizards for thank you. Our new uh, joiners. Justice had to hop off so that we could have all three of you on. There's only three allowed on Squadcast, and four, three guests allowed on Squadcast. So, yeah, now I get to be on a an Outlaws episode since I missed. Uh, <laughs> You're like an official friend of the show now. Yes. I know, right? <laughs> I don't think you might have and, already been, but I don't. But we'll make it official now. Perfect. <laughs> And now Amos has finally been on a uh, Elixir Wizards. That's right. That's right. I was getting a little sad. We're all equal now. All right. Yeah. We've like leveled, leveled the playing field. Yeah. We were supposed to do Anna, and I think you had to reschedule. Yeah. Sorry. So now, now you're also an official, official wizard, I guess. We're all in. We're all in. I've been here five minutes longer than you all. Oh, okay. Fine. I was watching I, the Twitch stream because I'm I with, the, with the young kids these days. I did not read the whole email. I'm terrible. Yeah, I, I was watching the Twitch stream too. You also couldn't be bothered to put your name into the squad cast. You're just reliable nope. emoji. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, they have some weird defaults. and I read it and I thought, man, just go with it. Why not? <laughs> I'm going to call you that from now on. Reliable emoji. <laughs> More like unreliable emoji. Uh, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Always on time. Always on time. <laughs> so how's it going? For who? Oh, just it's good. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a marvelous day. I, mean, yeah. I, got, I got up this morning and got the uh, cover off the garden since it was 29 degrees here last night. It was 85 wow. degrees the day before. So, you know, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think we got, a, we got a freeze warning, I think, last night, too. It dipped down to like 37 or something. Oh, wow. So not, not quite as far, but... There's where Anna steps in and talks about how sometimes you have to wear a jacket. I have to wear a light sweater occasionally. (laughs) Shush, Keith. (laughs) So, yes, what are are all of you doing to fill your free time? Well, Keith said he's working on like a million projects. It's not a million. It's like three. (laughs) (laughs) And we're prepping for the NFL draft. So it's like that's our busy year. Uh, Busy time of the year right now. And we're going to change out some key pieces of infrastructure right before it. So it's, it's going to go great. That's always a good idea. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I wonder how exciting the remote draft is going to be. I don't know. I, what I can tell you looking at traffic spikes is the sports bros are thirsty for news. <laughs> <laughs> for any news. You know the PS5 controller? Mm-hmm. So like apparently that's a thing that people care about. Like, like that are like have opinions about and stuff. So we're ostensibly a sports website. But that alert that went out to like, look at the new PS5 controller was like one of our highest traffic spikes ever. Like <laughs> the people are thirsty for oh, some content. Wow. <laughs> so <clears throat> I need something to look at. Yeah, my uh, father-in-law yeah. was talking about how if they don't do the draft virtually, he's gonna he's gonna riot. So <laughs> Oh yeah, it's happening. It's it's definitely happening. We're uh, we're gearing up. Yeah. Otherwise, we've got a really dope slip and slide outside playing with the kids on and basically about it what about y'all yeah, our, our neighbors just set up a slip and slide my wife was like we should get one and then we can just slide our like two month old down it yeah how's the baby <laughs> all right we yeah. haven't talked to you since the conference yeah so he's he's doing well he came a he bit pulled early. All your beard out yeah he did that too one at a time <laughs> two months to do it <laughs> but yeah he's he's doing well he came i think he he has future sight and push his way out early to avoid all of the, the like super yeah. yeah super tight restrictions in the hospital. But yeah, I guess we, we heard like two weeks after he was born, they switched it to so only one person could be like visit in the uh, the NICU at a time. So like we couldn't be there together if that had ha- would have happened. So that would have like just totally sucked. But yeah, we avoided all that. So. Good. Good. Well, I missed you at the conference, but I guess yep. that makes it worth it. Yep. 
What's his name? If you want to say, yeah, yeah that I that know. I will keep secret. Okay. Uh, if, if you see me in person, then okay. at a conference in the future, should uh, that be yeah, allowed? That sounds good. <laughs> that makes sense. Then, that makes yep. sense. Oh, I've been exciting. working in my bedroom. That's how you survive children. They don't want to come into your parents' bedroom when they're 13, 14. <laughs> yeah, I've mostly been just working in my room. And I live pretty close to the beach, so it's been nice to be able to get outside. Lots of walks on the beach. Is that your room right now? Mm-hmm. You have so many craft supplies. That's actually my roommate's craft supply. Wow. Table. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it's for, but there's a lot of crafts. <laughs> you, you can always you can always use Mod Podge for stuff. Yeah, I just, I just sure that's saw Mod, Mod Podge. Podge too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, awesome. just, but be honest. Do you know what Mod Podge is? Because you've also built Dungeons and Dragons terrain. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how I that's how I learned how to, what it is. I, I am aware of it because my wife made uh, coasters. She printed out these really horrible scenes from Star Trek. Nice uh, uh, awesome. TNG, and then put them on just like tiles. So that's how I'm aware of Mod Podge. We have it's a, just lots of pictures of of uh, Data as Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, that one, and then there's a one where Worf has his tea, nice, good tea, nice house. <laughs> uh, that one, so that scene, yeah, these are awesome. So we have some... we have those, but we have our our kids and our nieces and nephews on them. I I think that I should switch them out for Star Trek pictures next to my wife's not looking. Yeah, totally. I can highly recommend it. <laughs> have you have people been checking out your game that you talked about at the conference? Yeah, we've actually got someone, I believe he's a PHP developer, has started taking a peek at Kalevala and was submitting issues and trying to extend it and whatnot. So it's very exciting. to. That's exciting. Yeah, for, for two reasons, less PHP and <laughs> <laughs> more work on that when I am too busy and other things. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, how have you all been spending your time in the craziness? So my my first few weeks was mostly it was like the the like twelve hour napping while uh-huh. he's like doing the like the sleep for a bit feed him whatnot so uh, yeah. like during the twelve hour naps it was just scrolling through Twitter and being horrendously anxious about everything. <laughs> uh, so the, eventually the, it was just like I need to uninstall Twitter. It's now being blocked. <laughs> just I think your audio on your stream has uh, stopped. So it has. I've, I'm over I've here been, reading the chat like yeah. a pro streamer. Any minute now when people start subbing, I'm going to start shouting out subs <laughs> and donations. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I keep trying to, whenever I have to cough or whatever, I have two things to mute. So, Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you, need the, uh, the one. you need the pedal. The That's mute true. pedal. I need or, the streamer deck. Or just Wait, let what? It just let You're not familiar with the mute pedal? No. Yeah, so there's it's the same people. It's Proco, the same people who make uh, who made um, Kurt Cobain's famous distortion pedal. You click it with your foot, and it mutes you, and then you, and that's so you can like just mute on and off. I don't have one. It's not like I use it. I just am aware of it. <laughs> I just uh, when build, I was doing just build research, just build one. Just build yeah, one. Yeah, but then you've got but then you've got to like get a decent switch so you can like you don't have pops and stuff like that. It needs to be able to like shut the whole way off and everything. That's, it's 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 true. not as easy as just like you just need well, a you just need a pedal. It, I mean, unless you unless you <laughs> uh, make it a USB pedal and, and have it emulate a keyboard. Reliable emoji over here just being like, well, I don't see why you just don't make it yourself. Just make it. Just <laughs> nerves. You're sitting at home in your free time. And well, you just use, add a project. Just just. Yeah, because I don't just have enough going code, on. Keithley. Reliable emoji. Right, yeah, like, just write more code. We talked about this yesterday. You can fix all problems with more code. Yeah, you use Emacs, right? Reliable emoji. Uh, <laughs> don't don't you have like a, a keyboard, uh, like a four foot pedal already? I, I, I should. I so in the last year, I've switched to using Emacs from them, and really, it was Space Max, so it was kind of them. And now recently, his, I've been his hand has just morphed into this. <laughs> so, so he just now he just whenever he types, he just is making the actually, claw motion. That's all I'm he does. Actually, growing a third arm out of the middle of my chest. It's called the control key arm. That's <laughs> where the beard came from. It makes so much sense now. That's why you have a beard now. Oh, I get it. <laughs> it's a neck beard. Yeah, no, it literally is. That's amazing. Wow, it's true. I always thought that was a joke, but it's real. Yeah. <laughs> I've now seen it. 
stay easy, Max, long enough. Wow. <laughs> the beard's um, going away soon. It's it's just temporary. Well, are you going to switch back to Vim? No, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sublime. You're going to just move straight to Sublime. No, no VS Code. So you'll just, draw, you'll code, just, yeah, you'll just you grow go. like a perfectly shaped handlebar mustache. <laughs> That's what I should do next. Just, All right, but to get back on track, just a tiny bit. Do you guys have any? Have you ever listened to our show? There is yeah, no track. Have you not? Have you not? We, we, we've got a timeline. Paul Schoenfeld. He's like, he's like, we got to so. get these people out of here. <laughs> Yo. Do you guys have any final plugs you want to shamelessly self-promote? Reliable emoji, you go first. Yeah, so I have a company called Binary Noggin, and we're always looking for new clients. been growing a lot. We have Connor Rigby on board, so we've got a lot of nerves ability there and do a lot of uh, embedded systems and, and distributed systems development working with teams who are on our own so and of course elixir outlaws the uh penultimate elixir podcast oh my god <laughs> <laughs> jerk well, the they, invi- the, they invited wait, us on here i said you're pen, like i, said I mean if you want to listen to a good podcast no, come no, on, i said, I said penultimate second to the top oh i see the wizards yeah, okay. are the ultimate mm-hmm. there you go there you go nice 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 save anna go ahead what do you want to let's get us out of here <laughs> i know right we're working on actually trying to release some elixir bridge content that is more usable for folks digitally. So keep an eye on that in the next month or two. But that's all I got. Keithley? I have a new HTTP client library. I say I, it's a joint effort. Uh, me and Nico and uh, Jose and some other people, uh, Quinn, are working on it. It's called Finch. It's on my GitHub. I'll link to it in somewhere. And uh, it's cool. It's about to be published to Hex. It seems really high performance so far. And I would love it if you check it out. Awesome. Is this at uh, LPIL slash Finch? Uh, no, it's okay. uh, Keithley slash Finch on GitHub. And the other thing I want to say is when you search for binary noggin, I really appreciate that the first ad is for noggin, the like Nickelodeon TV like <laughs> channel. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Google. They know that you have a kid now. They're yeah. just like, yeah, yeah you're like, getting targeted. Oh, you must mean this. <laughs> How's it going? Oh, Schoenfelder, everybody. <laughs> so glad to have you back, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a little while. I mean, it hasn't been too long, I guess. We talked, what, in January? Yeah, I think January. Yeah, so it's good to see you guys again, though. Yeah, uh, not much has changed since then. Do. Yeah, not a whole lot. You know, just like the whole world seems to fall apart, I guess. Yeah, what, what do you think? You think like the plague, the locusts, the earthquakes, the Asian wasp things that are invading, like... <laughs> Is this the end of the world? I don't like to speak too negatively, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. It's not the end of the world. Definitely gonna change some things, though. I'll bet. Who knows when it will go back to more or less normal? What's your favorite part of quarantine? I work from home a hundred percent of the time, so for me, it is almost entirely not different than normal, except for I can't buy anything ever when I go out to the grocery store or whatever, but yeah, you know, I live on things things is so bad right now. Oh yeah. I can't even imagine if people are living in cities right now, just how like horrific it is to try and do anything, get food, go out to the store or whatever. Where do you live? Upstate New York, about 45 minutes from Albany. You got a house, a bit yeah. of property. Yeah. Plenty of space for so a year. Uh, you're properly upstate New York and not just above New York City. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so above Albany is like distance. north. Yeah, it's just on the edge of the Adirondack Mountains. So, Hey, is it true that uh, Buffalo have returned to Buffalo for the first time in like a thousand years or something? Were Buffalo ever in Buffalo? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I haven't heard. Uh, I just thought without like the scourge of humans that, you know wildlife has been returning to its natural habitat i think it would be pretty awesome if you actually saw <laughs> buffalo and buffalo yeah you know how much meat you can get from a wild they're actually bison there's a difference apparently between buffalo and bison is there i, I knew that there was some sort of subtle difference but i'm not and really sure what that difference is so i think a buffalo is like what we would normally and i'm not an expert at this i'm just pulling trivial facts out of my uh, but I think that the buffalo <laughs> is like when you think of like a water buffalo, 
in Africa with horns. Mm-hmm. That's like what an actual buffalo is. And then a bison is what we call a buffalo. Oh, okay. And so we just we just called it that because it was what we thought a buffalo was when we first encountered them. And we just ignored whatever the Native Americans were calling it, apparently, and just decided we don't care what your name is. We're going to yeah, call it buffalo. Probably couldn't pronounce it either. Even though it's probably it says, like uh, running brown object. <laughs> yeah. Google says they looked like the Asian water buffalo or African buffalo. Yeah. So we gave them the name. <laughs> America. It seems so intuitively obvious. I guess that we would do something that. <laughs> One cool thing about buffalo that I learned recently, because, you know, we all know that the bald eagle is like the national animal, right? Mm-hmm. But it's actually not. It's our national bird. So then I went, I was like, well, what's our national animal just more broadly? And we don't have one, but we do have a national mammal, which is the bison. National animal. I mean, it makes sense to have the eagle be like a national something, right? I mean, we're all about that. And I think the bison makes sense as a national animal, though. So only real thing, maybe a grizzly bear, but that's not really American thing. I mean, bald eagles aren't either, but. I guess we decided it's ours. They're pretty American, dude. I have three what about or four. The Canada animals. has them. Yeah, but Canada, we have Canada, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Don't tell the Canadians. Yeah, I think we need to stop. Look, I'm. I'm this isn't a political Maybe show. I'm not going to get into it. But us. we could annex Canada just as easily as we could annex Mexico or any of these other countries that we allow to exist on the continent. That's all I'm saying. I suppose. <laughs> maybe maybe some of our audience so uh, dude how are you like you're used to working from home you've been working from home for a long time we've been asking for people's tips and tricks or just you know their their quirks do, do you have any encouraging words or tactics for the audience i mean specifically right now i guess with being stuck at home for people you know make sure they get outside and walk around if you can like in your yard or at a park if there's not a whole bunch of people or something you know but getting outside definitely will help keep you sane if you're not used to being stuck at home all the time but just in general from with working from home you know try and set up some rituals you know wake up make coffee shower whatever get dressed I find a place in your house where you're gonna like slaughter a goat (laughs) sacrifice it to whatever god it's Passover, so we should probably be not making that joke. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Anyways, you know, by having some habits that you set up and a place maybe in your house that you just kind of only go to when you're working, I think that setup is what will get you more in the mode of like, okay, I'm doing like work stuff now. If you don't do that, it becomes very easy to kind of fall off the edge and just end up getting dragged into doing normal things. You're sitting at home on your couch or whatever, browsing the internet, then, you know, there's not really any difference from when you were coming home from work before and doing that. So it's really easy to fall into I'm at home and not I'm at work kind of habits. But that's the main thing that got me into that habit. Once I, you know, started working from home a long time ago. Now at this point, you've got the mental habits set up. It's not as important to like be real strict about it. But Have you picked up any new hobbies or projects since being locked down? No, like I said, you know, since I'm working basically full time at home anyways, for me, it's not really too much of a difference schedule wise. I keep myself busy with the projects I'm working on too outside of that. So nothing like new that I've picked up, but now that the weather's warming up too, it's, you know, I keep myself busy with outdoor chores and stuff. We had a crazy ice storm up here like a month or two months ago at the end of the winter there that just absolutely wrecked all of our trees around here. A bunch of them just basically exploded, cracked in half, fell over. So that's a lot of work to do. <laughs> we have a question from the audience. Uh, someone, Todd, who I thought thought was your friend is that wondering where you <laughs> where you're working these days i'm working in a company called occam it's a little startup that is working on like secure messaging and routing for like iot devices but it's not specifically iot it's, it's more of like a just a, a level above the network right one of the main problems especially with like iot is that there's 
a really lazy effort, if any, to secure the communications between devices and whatever manufacturer, as well as no effort whatsoever really to make those connections private. So it's really easy if you can see the communications over the wire. If you can't see the messages, you still know who is talking to what. So you can figure out what device they own, maybe even down to like what kind of device and serials and stuff like that, because a lot of identifying information is essential to the network. And so really the idea of what we're building is making the secure communication aspect of that like a core part of the platform and then exposing the primitives as an easy to use API to the things that rest on top of that. So if you're an embedded device manufacturer, maybe you have a platform or maybe you want to integrate with some cloud platform, you just plug in the library that handles the communication aspect of that and you don't have to spend a lot of time understanding the crypto behind it or the details of how you do that safely and deal with like session renegotiation and things like that. So kind of interesting. Todd continues to point out or, or continues with uh, the S and IOT stands for security. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's pretty much the running joke of IOT is that there's absolutely no way that you're not getting hacked if you've got stuff that's sitting on the network that even if it's not directly reachable from the internet, most routers have some form of vulnerability, you know, the off the shelf ones. And it seems like you're, they're always finding some new way to break into those. And once you've got access to the network, then it's pretty trivial to access whatever on the network you have. But then you've got things like say a TV that just connects out to the cloud arbitrarily. And if somebody is able to maybe intercept that traffic, like man in the middle kind of thing, it's pretty trivial to inject payloads into the stuff that's sent back to the TV, trigger a firmware update or something like that, you know? Yeah, I was, I had a, an idea for a potential startup that was like taking pictures of your pets while you were away. And I got pretty far along until like I just got totally scared off of like I don't want to put any of these things in people's houses because like yeah if it gets hacked and it's like what am I gonna do <laughs> yeah and I mean you're a billionaire at that point so who cares <laughs> that's pretty much their attitude right yeah I made I made my money so who who really cares if it's not secure but I think people are starting to get sick of that so. Paul, I'd love to sort of dive into this a little bit deeper. Our new theme for season four is system and application architecture. And it sounds like you've got like a great view on some of that from your new gig. Do you have any final plugs or asks for the audience before we let you go? I guess, uh, you know, I've been working on Lumen. That's still active projects. We are always interested for people to, to try and help out, lend a hand. You know, things have progressed quite a bit. So the compiler is, is working fairly well now. There's still quite a bit that's not fully supported, but we're getting there. But yeah, if, if anybody's interested in, in helping out there, we're still active. You know, we have our Slack channel on the Elixir Slack. Uh, it's just Lumen, if you want to check that out. And on a personal note, like anybody that's interested in maybe help maintain some of my existing projects that are have been around for a while, like Timex and things like that. I'm definitely always looking for people that can help maintain those. I, I'm running low on time to be able to do that. So I don't want those projects to, to die, though. I want them to stay healthy and, and keep going. So. You heard it here, folks. Go help Paul with all of his OSS projects. Yeah, do all my work on. for me, please. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Schoenfelder, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Sophie. How are you? <laughs> Hello. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm so glad to have Sophie DiBenedetto <laughs> and Meryl Dakin joining us on the Between Episode. So where are y'all right now? I have fled to the countryside, <laughs> <laughs> fled Brooklyn for the countryside. So I'm at my family's house in Westchester while my parents are actually trapped in Miami with my sister. So it's actually been so nice to be in this like empty condo with nature you know we could take the dog out and get out a little bit we're super super lucky to be able to have this space how is moby uh, holding up in all this oh thanks for remembering he's actually having the time of his life uh, not to sound like too 
callous, but the pandemic is one of the better things that have ever happened to him because he just is obsessed with sticks. So every time he goes outside, there's like infinite adventures that can be had with various sticks. Yesterday, I stood up from my desk and stepped on a pine cone, which he had brought (laughs) to, I guess, the foot of the desk chair that I didn't know was there. So yeah, I mean, absolutely not to sound callous, but being out here with a little extra space and with access to nature has been really, really nice. What about you, Meryl? Where are you calling from? My apartment in Brooklyn, where we also have nature, aka my roof. (laughs) I can go up there anytime and look at the sky. So it's just as good as being in Westchester right now. Have the deer started to like make it their way into Brooklyn? Are you seeing like grizzly bears and... (laughs) Have the, have the pigeons you know, I, uh, gotten rid of or ch- changed back to their normal colors of, of bright? <laughs> I've heard the rats are actually running the subway system now. So that's cool. I've heard that too, yeah. No, but I actually did hear where I'm from, New Orleans, there are coyotes now that are just in the city, just hanging out in different areas. So I think that is actually returning to nature throughout this pandemic. That has happened in New York, though. I remember when I was... I forget, like a senior or a junior in college, and my campus was in the city. They actually had to cancel classes one day because they were just like, alert, coyotes have wandered out of Riverside Park, like onto school. Please stay in your dorms today. So yeah, I mean, nature is pretty real. Yeah. Yeah. No, I live out in the country and so I see coyotes and foxes and stuff all the time. I actually have a few bald eagles that live in my backyard that are sort of what I like to do. But I was was mentioning in the comments, actually, I have a neighbor with seven basset hounds. And like five minutes ago, they were in my backyard r- rifling through my compost. So that happened. Wow. How are you guys? What's the job situation? Are you, you all are working remote at this time. I think both of you probably have some remote work experience. How's that transition going? Sophie? I mean, so I, I was working remote. Like GitHub is a fully remote distributed company. It's been definitely an adjustment for me just because I am still so new to GitHub and kind of joining that whole working style has definitely been a challenge. It's interesting though, I saw someone say this today. I don't remember if it was like a tweet that I saw or or if it came out through an email that I read, but somebody saying that you're not working at home right now, right? That's not what's happening in the pandemic. You're like trying to do work in your house while like a global crisis is happening. And that's, that's very different than like, I work from home now. Uh, So even those of us who have been working remotely or in remote first companies, like it's still super different than it ever was before dealing with everything going on in the world, our own health, stuff with family, coworkers, colleagues that are mostly doing maybe homeschooling and trying to catch up on work now and then. So yeah, even for those of us that have been at home, which I think both Justice and Eric, I think you guys have, we're already working at home. I'm sure you'll agree or have some thoughts on the fact that it's still not the same as it was. Yeah. One of the guests, I forget who was on earlier that we mentioned it to, but we kind of talked a little bit about sort of just the generalized psychic distress in the population, definitely having an impact. This week has been the week where I've kind of felt like I'm over it. I just not like I'm over it, meaning like I'm dismissing it's seriousness or anything, but just I'm over like the sort of psychic angst that was gripping so much of of day-to-day life. So that's nice. I'm a little bit surprised that that we haven't heard more like new hobbies cropping up in the in the guests. What, Meryl, how are you handling working from home? Is this your first time working from home, or do you have experience with it? It's my first time, like in an extended period of time, working from home. We had been doing like some remote days when I was at Flatiron with Sophie, so it's not super new, but it is definitely different for our entire company to transition so quickly to a work from home routine. I think we've done it pretty well. I I think like everybody's been, the company itself like prepared us really well to move into this. Um, I'm at Frame.io again, but everybody's doing well, like trying to figure out how to communicate more asynchronously and get like the same amount of work roughly that we were planning on doing. We're continuing to kind of go on that trajectory. So it's been good. My brother is also a software engineer and he lives with us. So he's also working from home. So we're, we're sort of in a like fight over the internet bandwidth all the time. My husband may Are think, you yeah, pulling Docker images? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to like limit the amount of online Call of Duty that Nathan is playing oh, during no. the day. We can do our work. Because he's not working. Right. So my okay. husband's in film and he's not working. So he's uh, homemaking. <laughs> but I have actually been picking up new hobbies. I started learning how to sew with a sewing machine. And I thought I was going to make masks, but I didn't. Just made a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) 
just still haven't make a shirt that it'll last you longer that's so funny <laughs> yeah that's um, true yeah yeah. So, so have you, has any, have you learned anything about working from home that was sort of like a game changer, like made you more comfortable or uh, made you more productive? I mean, I learned that I need to get dressed in the That's morning. That's the first thing people learn. Pants. So, Pants make all the difference. Yeah. yeah. Pants. <laughs> this is actually yeah. a special podcast shirt. I don't normally dress like in the ugliest possible <laughs> shirt I can find, but I figured it's purplish. It's soft. <laughs> anyway, so. Yeah, I actually think it's great. I was going to say, I'm really digging your mom's yeah, well, So I, You know, like every time you run a, a marathon, they give you a shirt and it's like deliberately the ugliest possible shirt they could have come up with. The Marines were like, they took it to a whole nother level. This is Marine Corps marathon. They took it to a whole nother level and just made the worst possible shirt. <laughs> a lot yeah, of colors just, on there. So bad. Yeah, the back's even busier. And it's oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> oh my wow, that's great. But to your question, Justice, like, you know, have you learned anything new about working from home? I actually had an epiphany yesterday that I was really excited to share with you guys. And I feel like now that we all, everybody's remote and having to do more async, especially with everybody's teammates and own personal lives, like being in such weird places, all of us, all of us engineers are actually project mm. managers now as well, right? You have to work way harder to kind of figure out prioritization and async communication with your product manager. You have to do so much more written communication on tickets or issues or pull requests than ever before. And at first I kind of resisted. I was like, oh, this is taking so much time. I'm not able to do my job of like writing and shipping code, but starting to realize that like, actually that is part of my job. And it's not just, well, I sit here and I push out new code for tickets, but that project management piece of it is now like a first class citizen in our day to day lives. And it's a stickier process. And at least I think a lot of us kind of share this, like, I just want to go fast and you have to go slower now. And that's one of the reasons why. Um, So we're all project managers now. Congratulations. It's not a promotion. There is no raise. Uh, your name, but your job just got a little harder. Yeah, exactly. Same title. Yeah, at Smart Logic, we don't have project managers, so we've kind of had this, you know, developer as the PM thing going for a while. And before I came to Smart Logic, I mean, I was independent and sort of managing projects, and uh, it's definitely a little bit of a superpower, I think, for, for developers to kind of intuitively know the levels of communication, the kinds of communication that really make projects run smoothly. But what you're saying about kind of complaining about it, I think that's important too, actually, because when you complain about it, you, you're identifying like what the pro- where the problems are. We were talking about this in our lunch meeting yesterday. Let me ask you something. At work, what is the appropriate amount of complaining? And, and what is the separation between like a complaint <laughs> and like a legitimate critique of like problems? I think you just have to read mm-hmm. your audience. Depends mm-hmm. who you're talking to. Meryl? Personally. Oh man, it's an interesting question. The appropriate amount of complaining. What was the second part of it? What like what? What's the difference between a complaint and like a, a constructive criticism? Well, I think like there is always a healthy amount of things <laughs> you should do about yes. your job. I think that that's important. Like you need to just have a space that feels good to vent and talk about things that you don't actually want to put effort into changing, but it feels nice to like get that out. But I think like. The appropriate amount of complaining to do is the type of complaining that you would feel comfortable like taking initiative on or bringing up to whoever it is that you're sort of like sensing is the point of this issue or like somebody that could do something about it. Like that feels like a really appropriate amount of like legitimate complaining. Like I know that this is a problem. I know the people that can fix it. I'm not just going to talk to my coworkers about it. I'm going to talk to them directly. That feels like super appropriate and super useful and helpful. So complaining with like solutions in mind. Yeah, like a solutions oriented complaint, which is <laughs> totally so- different from bitching. That has its own category and <laughs> yeah, its own importance in the work balance. Like one of these is done over drinks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. Like anything that think of it as like a retro, right? If you're willing to suggest your own action items, like mm-hmm. bring it up. And if you just kind of want someone else to fix it for you, like, sorry, that's not how it works. Yeah, totally. Well, we love having you on the show every single time. You did a tremendous job hosting, and I'm sure that we're going to want to do that again. I actually wanted to kind of debrief on that a little bit with you on this show, but I think we'll have to do it. Yeah, we'll have to do it at a later date because we're about to uh, go to our final interview of this uh between us ode i want to give you guys a chance to any final plugs or asks for the audience or shameless self-promotion or whatever you want to say now's your chance to deliver that to the audience i have two plugs uh very briefly one of them is before the pandemic like right before everything got really crazy i actually published a blog post just about 
my experiences transitioning to GitHub and kind of embracing remote and asynchronous work, which now I'm so glad that I wrote that because I've been having so many more opportunities to reflect on it. If anybody's interested in that, they can find it on my blog, which is thegreatcodeadventure.com. I think it's still up on the first page somewhere. And uh, another thing is I would love people to look out for, I'm hoping to publish soon. I've been working on a series of four blog posts with some of the folks at Elixir School, kind of taking like a deep dive into Elixir's telemetry offerings, Elixir and Erlang's telemetry offerings. Maybe it'll take us a little while to publish because there's like a lot of content to review, but I've been learning a ton and I'm really, really excited to share it with people. So keep an eye out for that. Awesome. Thank you, Meryl. That's awesome, Sophie. I'm excited yeah. to do that. But I have non-software related plug which is that I was on another podcast that is a horror movie podcast. So if you like <laughs> Twin Peaks, <laughs> there's a three-part show coming out soon. So watch if you dare is the podcast. My wife is a humongous fan of Twin Peaks. Awesome. Oh my God. Well, watch if you dare is the podcast and it'll drop pretty soon. Also, yeah. Mara, Luigi's Mansion. Right. And Luigi's Mansion is definitely something I'd also like to plug generally. Just The as. game? As it a, has everything. Yeah. It has ghosts. It has collecting money. It has cleaning things. Yeah. All oh, of our faves. And one more ask for the audience. I think the thing I've missed most from all of this is that there are like, Sophie and I were talking about this yesterday. There's no scandals right now. There's nothing no that's happening. So if you guys have any goss, our DMs yeah, spillity. Mm-hmm. We just, we are, we're having a dearth of it right now. So yeah, that's our scandals, audience. rumors. Yeah. Gossip. Anything, anything yeah. unfounded even is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got tons of unfounded rumors. Wonderful. Perfect. We're ready. <laughs> yeah. we'll, have, we'll have an offline. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carol Bacon and Sophie De Benedetto. Bye, guys. Prag Dave, Dave Thomas, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. This is the most professional setup of any of our guests today. This is amazing. Well, it's my bunker. What can I say? You know? Do you have a green screen? No. Well, it's just black? It's black, black studio. Yeah. It's a great look. You it's look true. like a pro. It's like <laughs> professionally lit. This is super clear audio. Uh, if you knew what professionally lit meant right now, I'm bouncing two LED floods off the ceiling. So <laughs> I wouldn't call that professionally lit. Well, but, uh, well, I'm doing an awful lot of recording at the moment. And the nice thing about a black background is you don't need to chroma key it. You can just like do a uh, multiply and it just automatically adds things to the background. So, yeah, it actually works out pretty well. You know, I can like, you know, when I'm doing classes and stuff, I can just like have things floating next to my head. And sometimes they're actually, you know, supposed to be there and it looks okay. But it took me absolutely forever to get that background to disappear. Anyway, that's that. Where are you calling us from, Dave? I'm calling you about 40, 50 miles north of Dallas. Mm -hmm. So I am yet another country dweller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you all are still mostly free, is that right? In Texas, I imagine. You mean like in general, philosophically, or now? I mean, philosophically, none of us are free. We live in a determinist world, but uh, <laughs> practically, <laughs> I mean, in terms of like the coronavirus stuff, where I live is pretty rural. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's an effect, but it's not dramatic. There are cases around us, but not like thousands. So now, now I'm also curious about the philosophical side. Do we have free will? I'm I'm also curious about the philosophical <laughs> version of that of that answer. I have free will, but nobody else does. That's the way it works. <laughs> I mean, that's actually a requirement. If any one person has it, nobody else can, right? Why? Well, because otherwise, then somebody else can get in the way of my free will. Mm, okay, I got to think about that for a while. No, that's don't think about it. I just told you not to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have a question from the audience, and uh, Todd has asked, what about COBOL? What about COBOL? I love, no, actually, I don't love COBOL. I once wrote a COBOL runtime system back in the 70s. What about COBOL? I mean, I think it's it's the horrible language that won't die, you know, <laughs> kind of like that uncle. But it's, people write it off, but right on to, up until 2000 or so, it was still the most popular language in the world, and it will continue to be. The amazing thing to me is that, they have managed to take a language which is as... So most languages that you use, all of the work is done in libraries, right? So, you, you know, you'll have a library that does IO or whatever else. In COBOL, everything, including things like index sequential IO, is all done actually in the language using language constructs. So that means that whenever you have to adapt 
to add things like, oh, I don't know, the internet, you actually have to change the language. You don't just do it by adding a library. And it's amazing to me that the people that manage the COBOL standards have managed to do that without falling foul of the Perl 6 problems, you know, where you just basically, or the C++ problems, where you basically end up with a language that's a little bit of everything and not a lot of good, but it's there. Todd also says that uh, he wants you to teach COBOL. Ha! I actually taught, I teach a class at uh, Southern Methodist University here in Dallas, SMU. And right now I'm teaching a programming languages class. And so the first six weeks, seven weeks, I actually go through programming languages historically. You know, so we start with AutoCode and then Fortran, then COBOL, then Algol. So they actually do spend a little bit of time coding in COBOL. And here's the wild thing. Every single one of those old languages, and we're talking about languages which are, what, 70, no, 60 years old. So far, I've been able to find websites that let me run them all at different places in the browser. In fact, I even found there's a PDP-11 emulator that runs inside your browser, emulates the front panel with all the flashing lights and the switches and stuff. And it runs, uh, it boots up the original operating systems, RT11 and RSX. And here's the wild thing. It actually runs faster emulated in JavaScript in my browser than it did on the original hardware. It's amazing. <laughs> wow. I'm trying to imagine the original hardware. Like, oh, it's fun. It was really size of a house or No, I mean, no, a PDP-11 could be from like an under desk cabinet size up to, you know, a couple of wardrobes side by side. For the audience watching, I just did a search for the PDP-11. So you can see all the fun switches and whatnot. But the nice thing about them is if you take the back off or the top off or whatever, it's, you know, back in the old days, right? You could take the, you could open the front of a car and you could see things and know what they were. Whereas now you open the front of a car and it's all just one big block of plastic and metal. Yeah. Well, it's the same with these things. You could open up a PDP-11 and it was obvious what the stuff was. And you would often spend a fair amount of time when you first got a machine adding bits to it, taking bits out. And the cool thing was you would configure a lot of the boards using wire wrap. So you'd actually have little terminals sticking up and you'd actually wrap wires between them. It, you didn't have these kind of like, you know, the little plastic header things that you moved around. So it was fun and you got to know hardware. And I think that's actually something that's missing nowadays is that people don't have this intuitive feel of, you know, the low level hardware. So Justice, why does your microphone have a hat? Because it doesn't fit over my headphones. Oh, it's that hat. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have known. I'm sorry. You, you've met this hat before. Mm -hmm. Yep. I just didn't recognize it on a microphone. Which, by the way, that was such a great time hanging out at Lone Star Elixir and hearing, I mean, your talk was excellent. Bruce actually brought it back up when he was on the show earlier today. I want to return to your course that you mentioned, the SMU course. Is that, will the course materials ever be available to the general public? I don't think so. I don't know how that works. SMU isn't one of those schools that publishes its courses at least not yet. I've been trying to push for that, but we'll see. And the other thing is that until we all got sent home, the courses were not really the kind of things, at least my courses, weren't really the kind of things you could video and actually take anything away from because it wasn't just me standing there talking and explaining stuff. There'd be a whole bunch of conversation and a lot of coding and this kind of stuff, which would be you know, remarkably frustrating and boring to watch. So it wasn't really organized that way. In fact, the interesting thing is that now that we're all all locked up in our bunkers, then I have actually been recording content. So my class has 45 students in it. And the thought of 45 students sitting on Zoom watching me for three hours, which is how long the class was, was just like too much to bear. So I switched around and I flipped the class. So now I've been recording the lecture. Pro tip, a three-hour lecture when you record it only takes an hour. So... I've been recording the lectures, and then I've been using the class time as a kind of discussion about the things and answering questions and everything else. And that's been working really well. So maybe if this keeps going, we'll actually build up a catalog of those recorded lectures, and then we'll actually have something to show. That would be maybe, cool. Maybe we could raise uh, some money to do a 
like a course, like a, a, I don't even know what it would look like, but we, we do the course as part of the show. Can you do like a contract outside of SMU? Well, absolutely. But you'd actually have to spend a year in apprenticeship doing the grading first, and then you can come and do the actual show. (laughs) I tell you what, I'm really stupid because I set an assignment a week and it's not like a major thing. It's maybe, I would guess the average student spends about 90 minutes on it. It typically takes me two solid eight to 10 hour days to grade that. It's People just don't realize the, 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 the amount of effort in that. So it's phenomenal. You can't just write like automated tests. Like well, yeah, I do. But okay. So you got one or two options, right? You can grade something by saying, oh, you failed. Sorry. You know, or you can grade something by saying, well, what you did is this, 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 and this, and then you change that, but you didn't do this and blah, 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 you know, and that's the thing that takes the time is going through and actually making, you know, writing. And the other problem is I'm my own worst enemy. If I see code that I think, oh my, that's so ugly. Ah, so, what, you know, I cannot stop myself going away and then refactoring it and then sending it back to them, you know? So I probably have rewritten some of these exercises like 40 times just to, um, you know, uh, drives me insane. That's the thing. They do not teach students. And I'm not really, I don't think this is an SMU thing. I think this is universally. They don't teach students how to program. Yeah, I can confirm this from mine as well. Yeah, they teach them enough coding so that they can then show them data structures or, you know, algorithms, whatever, but they never actually teach them programming. My degree, you could graduate with a programming CS degree and not have actually written any programs because they, of, of like how they combined things together. It was like, yeah. So can weird. you maybe both of you maybe kind of elucidate on this a little bit? Cause I, I don't, what do you mean? Like they don't teach programming, like they don't teach the ability to write beautiful code or they don't teach the ability to architect an application. What do you, what do you mean by this? Yes. Number one, I'm teaching seniors and juniors and they have never been shown a test. When I tell them that I require them to write tests, the code that comes back contains print statements. If I'm lucky, it'll say, this should say one. You know, I actually had one guy whose tests were just a stream of ones and zeros being out to the con- output to the console. They do not teach. Okay, so they're using, they're taught C++. I think, obviously, the devil controls the curriculum, but they're taught C++, which is... At SMU. <laughs> well, it's a horrible... Yeah, I know, I know. And they are not taught all the useful stuff. So, for example, if they needed to initialize a vector with five elements, they would create a new vector that say something like vector string list. Then they would say string S1 equals, and then some string, string S2, S2 equals this, string S3 equals something else. Then list.pushback S1, list.pushback S2, list.pushback S3. Because that was clearly how someone once said to them, oh, yeah, we need to stick this into a list. Let's do it. Boom. And no one actually stopped to tell them that you could actually just initialize the whole thing in one statement. That's kind of criminal, you know? But Looks anyway. like we have uh, Frank is, is joining in the, he says, the pain. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to move the switch away because it was too uh, disconcerting to see myself delayed by about, you know, 30 seconds or whatever it is. It is so, a little disconcerting. I wish there was a way to like, there should be like a creator mode, right? Like, yeah, that's like that's what I have. I have the the chat pulled up and enough stuff covering the actual video. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I just yeah, I just wised up the fact I could do yeah. that. So yeah, well, yeah, we had we had Java at my school, and that I think is a similar thing. I just remember taking a four hundred level robotics class, and like the thing that we did in our lab was like, this is what a for loop is. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, like robotics, like four twenty two or whatever like yeah. is teaching me a for loop in Java to like run on a, one of those like Lego Mindstorms things. So like that was just like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's partly that's why I'm doing it is kind of like I'm there trying to, I used to joke that, you know, my job was to corrupt minds, but I'm actually honestly now believing I'm kind of like uncorrupting them a little bit because the stuff they've been taught is, I mean, that's not quite true. They've been taught a lot of really, really good stuff. But none of the emphasis has been on what I think is important in programming. Well, you are very generous. We want to have you back on, Dave, for a full-on in-depth conversation. Season four of the the show is going to be about system and application architecture. So 
think you'll have a lot to say on that. I really like that this whole conversation has been mostly like technical. We didn't really worry too much about the the external circumstances. I, I'm cu- curious before you go, any shameless self promotion, any plugs that you want to make asks for the audience, and also like anything that you can say to maybe encourage people during this time. Uh, we want to leave on a high note, so I'll turn it over to you. You're asking me for a high note. Uh- <laughs> No shameless self-promotion, because to be honest with you, I don't have much to be promoted at the moment. I think that the high note really is when you consider that people are people and they get very comfortable doing what they're doing. And, you know, for the last 50 years, we've been following this kind of ritual of, of the way we work. And then suddenly across the entire planet, someone said, hey, you know, we're going to change that dramatically. And I think the fact that, okay, we grumble and... I can't imagine being stuck in a two-bedroom apartment with two kids and trying to get work done. So, I mean, there's a lot of suffering going on. But at the same time, as a planet uh, and as a, as a species, we actually appear to have, by and large, pulled this off. Yeah, and, yeah. I think that, that, to me, is kind of staggering because you know, <laughs> I'm one of these people that kind of gives up on humanity as being like, oh, you know, waste of space most of the time. But actually, I'm kind of like, pleasantly surprised and kind of humbled by the fact that as a, as a species, we're actually doing what's necessary. I don't know if that's inspiring or that's just kind of like whatever, but for for me, it's super inspiring. I like, I really appreciate the positivity, the optimism, the sort of love of humanity and just the tremendous, I mean, come on, like no other time in history could we have even responded to this thing. And not only did we respond, we responded quickly at scale and I mean, pretty much stop. I mean, didn't stop this thing dead in its tracks, but you know, actually it's an actually an interesting, I've been thinking about that because I was thinking, okay, if we didn't have the internet, then how would this have been? But then again, if we didn't have the internet, then we may not actually have had the population densities that we're having now and et cetera, et cetera. I think it'd be really interesting to look and imagine you could actually take this back like a hundred years and see what the impact would have been. So we didn't have the technology, but we also didn't have the communication. We didn't have the flying. We didn't have the population densities. I wonder if not, if there's like some kind of self-correction that takes place, you know, all of the systems that we develop, we kind of develop in parallel and what there's compensation going through for, for that. I don't know. It's just kind of, I know ultimately that won't happen. And ultimately we'll do something crazy to ourselves. But up until now, I think we've actually done a relatively good job of being able to balance, you know, the positive and the negative. Well, that gives us something very deep to ponder as we leave here today. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope that you'll join us again in season four to talk more about like architecture specifically and and just get deeper into the technical weeds there. Would definitely love uh, to see those course materials if they're ever available. And thank you for coming on the show. Totally my pleasure. Mm-hmm.